the One in One Podcast, where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. It is now March sadness, so we need a good basketball story, and I think today's guest will provide it. Herbert Lang played basketball at Centenary College of Louisiana and then played 18 years with the Harlem Globetrotters. Herb, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Bridget. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, you know, just sad over basketball being canceled and really all sports being canceled. I know, right? I mean, it's my favorite time of the year as far as sports goes. But, you know, hey, you have to do what's best for uh, for the general public, and I'm totally okay with sitting this time out. Um, I was just telling uh, one of my friends, I said, this could potentially be one of the greatest sports summers ever if we can get some of these events made up throughout the summer. Yeah, with that's the Olympics, true. With the Olympics and all the other things that are going on. Yeah, hopefully the Olympics will still be played. Start back up, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, have the NBA Finals in August. That would be fun. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's what I'm. That's the way I'm looking at it. I'm finding the bright side of it. That's good, and you're right. It's absolutely the right call, but it's still sad and sad for the college basketball players, especially the seniors who you know don't get to participate in the tournament one last time. Well, yeah, I mean it's sad, but I'm sure they're going to find a way to uh, to make amends with it. I mean, those guys and, and young ladies, of course, they deserve to uh, finish what they started. So hopefully, the NCAA uh, they'll figure out a way to make things uh, fair or whatever's right to those student athletes who are uh, not getting to fulfill that that normal uh, March Madness type of vibe that we've all had a chance to experience. Most of us, a lot of us, not most of us. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you're right. So, Herb, you're from Brinkley, Arkansas, the oldest of nine kids. How was it growing up with so many siblings? Uh, for me, it was normal. So uh, the, the total of nine comes from a combination of my mom and my dad. My mom, uh, who raised me, she actually had six of us, which I'm the oldest of, but I am the oldest of all of them. But, um, I mean, it was, it was what was normal to me. I was just used to having uh, a lot of kids around. They just kept coming and coming, and we kept... <laughs> bring them in and embracing them and enjoying them. And I just, you know, I had a great time. That's all that I knew. So, you know, it is what it is. It made me who I am today. I had a chance to, you know, have a mom who was really young and also had a chance to, you know, kind of be a person who helped raise their brothers and sisters. So I think that's something uh, pretty cool. And I think it's something that led to my level of wide wideness throughout my uh, professional and educational career. That is really cool. And I'm sure you had to set the example as the oldest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had to set the example as part of my responsibility. You know, if I, with me having so many younger siblings, I knew that I couldn't be out doing the wrong thing because I had so many younger ones following in my footsteps. And so I just always try to create something that they could uh, pattern themselves all uh, behind and at the same time be successful doing it. Hey, they ha- sounds like they had a great older brother. Well, thank you, Bridget. I appreciate that. Anytime. And I know you played a lot of sports growing up, specifically basketball, football, and track. How did you get into sports? Well, for me, I got introduced probably by my mother's boyfriend uh, at about five years old. He was one of the best basketball players in my hometown of Brinkley. And he would always take me to the, uh, to the middle school gym. And at the middle school gym is where the, where the, uh, the older basketball players would play. And he was an older guy, but... I mean, these guys were not getting paid to play the basketball game, but they were coming every single day, every single day to play basketball for the love of the game. And that's kind of when I fell in love with the game. In the old-timers games that they would have, I would have a chance to sit in the locker rooms and listen to strategies, the timeouts, you know, as the water boy. So at a, at a young age, I really, really got introduced uh, to sports and the game of basketball. And was basketball always your favorite sport? Actually, it was football. Football wow. was my favorite sport growing up. Yeah, because I was I was small. Uh, seventh grade was the first time I had an opportunity to play organized sports, and my first organized sports event was a football game. And I often tell the story about uh, me running. My first, very first time I touched the football in an organized game, I ran the ball 64 yards to the other end of the field, putting the ball down one yard short and pointing into the crowd as if I had scored, not realizing I had not scored a touchdown. So that was my first sports organized experience. But it taught me a lesson that I always need to run through the finish line and don't uh, start to celebrate too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a good lesson to learn early in life. (laughs) Hey, I've seen seen many guys do it since then. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen it done in the NFL. So due to seventh grade, that's okay. You learn. (laughs) (laughs) What position did you play in football? 
I played running back. So, I mean, I was 5'2 in the seventh grade, and it wasn't until between my junior and senior year of high school that I actually really shot up. I grew from 5'7 uh, to about 6'2 and a half, 6'3, the height that I am now. Wow. Nice. So I, I, I played football all the way up until my senior year in high school, and I decided to uh, concentrate uh, strictly on basketball at that point. Yeah, you go to Brinkley High School, where, as you said, three-sport athlete, but you're also the top of your class academically, and you were the senior class president. Talk about being well-rounded. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that credit certainly goes to my high school basketball coach, who was not only my high school basketball coach, he was my coach from seventh grade uh, all the way through my senior year in high school, and he instilled uh, many things in us, and one of the most important things he instilled was education. Uh, he, t- he would tell me stories of all the great athletes, the good athletes that had come before me who didn't take care of things in the classroom and therefore were still walking around our hometown or playing basketball or playing in those old-timers games uh, that I was telling you about because they didn't take care of the educational side. So uh, at about ninth grade is when it really set in that I need to focus on not only you know sports but education. So I surrounded myself with a group of guys who we not only competed in, in, you know, basketball per se, but we competed in history and math uh, just to, to push each other. And that's how I, you know, eventually graduated with honors in the National Honor Society and was elected class president of my, of my class. So uh, kudos to my uh, high school basketball coach, Herbert Williams. He has a lot to do with how this all came about. Wow, that's great. And good for you. And that's great that you can make it competitive with your teammates. You know, let's see who gets the highest grade in the, on the history test. I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's what kids need to challenge themselves in every aspect of life, not just in a sport, uh, per se. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) And as you said, senior year is where you really shifted your focus to solely basketball. Did you play AAU basketball as well? Yes, I did. I played for a team called the uh, the Arkansas Lakers, uh, the most prolific team to come out of the state of Arkansas as far as AAU basketball in the 90s was the uh, the Arkansas Wing. Uh, That was a team that... Corliss Williams, some of the uh, 1994 National Championship Razorbacks played on, who's a couple years older than me, but my team was the Arkansas Lakers. And it was a great experience because I had a chance to uh, see some of the best basketball players during that time. There were guys like uh, Jerry Stackhouse, who played at North Carolina. There was Ron Mercer, uh, who played at Tennessee. So guys like that were in my my age range. Those guys went on to play in the NBA. But AAU definitely had a lot – to do with broadening my horizons and realizing what I needed to do to be able to compete at a high level. Nice. Yeah. You see a high level of competition there. Yeah. I mean, and uh, for me growing up in a small town and just, you know, going to Little Rock occasionally, we didn't really see those type of athletes. There would be one or two, but when you would go to a national tournament, there would be an arena full of highly skilled athletes who could do, you know, pretty much everything you could do on the basketball court and some of the things they could do better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, give, your, give yourself credit. You were one of those uh, high, highly skilled athletes there. You were an all-state player for Brinkley. So what was the recruiting process like to college? My recruiting process to college was actually, it was pretty quiet. So going to my, you know, senior year, as I told you, I, was, I shot up. I grew from 5'7 to about 6'3", and I was a decent basketball player, but I became a better basketball player in the process of growing. And I didn't have a whole bunch of schools recruiting me going into my senior year. Um, I had schools like Harding University. It was a small NAI school at the time. Now they're, I think, uh, D2, Harding University, University of Arkansas, Monticello. Just small NAI, school, NAI schools. And my dream was always to go Division One. That was my dream. And I got lucky. A guy from my hometown uh, was playing at Centenary College in Shreveport, Louisiana. He was two years older than me. He ended up having an injury that forced him to sit out his second year of college, which gave him a little bit of extra time, you know, to go back and forth uh, home. And over the Christmas break, he had a chance to see me play for the first time probably in a couple of years. And he realized that I had grown. Um, I could jump. I was a decent shooter, but I was a great athlete. Uh, That's what most people would say. And he just, after a couple of games of watching me play, he told me that he would go back to center and tell them about me. And I didn't believe him, but, Turns out he actually went and told them about me, and they ended up offering me a scholarship at the end of uh, at the end of the season without ever seeing me play. Wow! Now, did you cool. make a visit, or did you just say yes on the spot? Oh, sorry, Herb. Go they ahead. Call, 
No, no, yeah, they called me. They called me and, and asked me if I wanted to, to come down for a visit. I was like, no, just send me the paperwork. I can sign it out. But they kind of, I remember the coach laughing. He was like, no, we're going to bring you down for an official recruiting visit anyway. So, yeah, I had a chance to go down for the official recruiting visit. But, I mean, for me, having the opportunity to, to play Division One basketball was my dream. So it didn't matter where I went. I would have gone anywhere to, to fulfill that dream. And luckily I had someone stand up for me and believe in me. And I don't think I disappointed him and he didn't disappoint in me. We had a great chance to play uh, two years of college basketball together. And now he's married to my sister, that same guy. So oh, wow. that's a pretty decent trade-off, right? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and Centenary was D1 at the time that you were there. But is it now a Division three school? Yeah, when I was there, Centenary was the the smallest Division One school in the country with about 1,000 students. And the most popular player there during our history probably was a guy by the name of Robert Parrish who played for the Celtics. But yeah. Centenary did, I think it was about six or seven years ago, uh, maybe longer than that, eight years ago, they decided to no longer participate in Division One basketball. And I think that they are Division Two or Three. But, you know, it, it is what it is. One of the good things about that is that I know all of my Division One records that I established there. I don't have to really have to worry about them going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you'll be in the record books forever. <laughs> Unless they decide to go back D1. <laughs> That's so. true. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's, it's still a, a good school. They actually had a really good year this year. Uh, made it to the, uh, NA, I think it's the NAI D2 tournament. They won their conference championship and everybody was excited about that. And I was excited as well to be able to tweet that because it's been a while since we bought any championships back to Centenary. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for them. Good for them. Go Jen. <laughs> was it hard for you to leave your big family to go to Louisiana? If I'm being honest with you, it wasn't. Because <laughs> I, I, worked, I worked really hard to get to that point. Uh, for me, I saw basketball not only as a, as a game, I saw it as a tool along with education to get me to where I wanted to go was eventually, hopefully, living my dream as a professional athlete. So, I knew that as long as I was in school and I knew I had to take care of my business in the classroom, I would be creating something that would be better for my family uh, at some point in my life, which is what I feel like I've established and what I continue to create even in my retired days with the Globetrotters. Yeah, you saw the big picture. Yeah, the big picture. The big picture is beautiful, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So give me some of your career highlights at Centenary. How was the team? Well, I mean, in my four years there, we did not have any winning records uh, during our during my four years. We had de- uh, winning records in conference, but as a Division One small school like that, you can do something called money games. I'm sure that they still do those, where you know you take the smallest Division One school and we send them to uh, the team that won the national championship last year. They pay you X amount of dollars. You take the L and and keep it moving. So we took a lot of L's like that, but we were pretty competitive in our conference. It was the Trans America athletic conference back then and the uh, some of the teams that were regulars in the tournament back then were schools like College of Charleston, Charleston University of Central Florida. But um yeah, I mean it was a it was a it was a small school but we made it work. I mean we didn't win a lot of games but we had a lot of pride and uh, we made the most out of it. Nice. And, you know, you yourself had a great career. You were first team all conference and the conference scoring champ. Yeah, my junior year, I, I had a, a unexpectedly great year <laughs> uh, for myself, uh, leading the conference and scoring. You know, going into my senior year, I was also preseason conference player of the year, and then there was a little bit of shakeup in our organization where my coaches of my first three years ended up getting fired, and a new coach came in, Billy Kennedy, uh, which turned out to be, you know, it was a blessing in disguise. I didn't have the year that I wanted to have my senior year statistically, but he was able to get me into the college dunk contest where I was able to compete against guys like Ruben Patterson, Felipe Lopez, uh, Mike James, just to name a few, and actually able to win, which was able to uh, kind of put me on the radar for other opportunities like the Globe Charters and overseas. Yeah, and that was on ESPN. You're on national TV. Yeah, I'm hoping they'll pop back up here in the next couple of weeks with the uh, with the tournament not happen, though, happening. I'm sure they'll post some some old highlights, some old dunk contests from back in the day up, and I'll be happy to look and hopefully see some of those guys who some of those guys who motivated me, you know, before I had a chance to compete. Yeah, that'd be great. Is that dunk contest where you got your nickname, Flight Time? 
Well, actually, that's not. I actually got my nickname, Bridget. I got it from uh, the owner at the time I joined the Globe Charters. His name is uh, Manny Jackson. And he, he jokingly said that he decided to give me the name Flight Time because every time I jumped, he felt that I should earn frequent flower miles. And that's how it came about, <laughs> Flight Time. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And before we get into your Harlem Globetrotter career, I want to give you kudos for co- in college once more. You once again took academics very seriously, becoming the 1998 Male Student Athlete of the Year at Centenary. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you, Bridget. I appreciate that. Again, it's something that was instilled in me through my high school basketball coach. And I mean, just a host of other teachers that I had that believed in me and pushed me along the way and never let me take the easy way out. And that's something that went all the way through college, and I gained a lot of the same things. I had a lot of teachers uh, who supported me, who were on my side, wanted me to do well, pushed me when I struggled. And we all need people like that that believe in us. So, I mean, that's just that's kind of what I do right now. I try to support and give back to youth and adults because I feel like I've been through a lot of my life, and whatever I'm able to share, uh, the knowledge that I've gained throughout traveling this world is what I want to give back to people. And you do a great job of that. Thank you. Thank you, Bridget. Anytime. So how did you become a Harlem Globetrotter? Obviously, they saw you at the dunk contest, but what happened after that? What happened was, so after the dunk contest, I had a semester of school left. The NBA had a lockout that year, it was 1998. Uh, so I had a semester of school left. I ended up going back and working on my degree. I finished my degree that uh, fall of 98. Immediately after following my finished my degree, I went to work at a gym as a, a fitness trainer and during that time, I had a roommate. He was a former soccer player, graduated the same year as me, and he went to a Globe Charter game. When he gets to the Globe Charter game, he ended up coming back home, and he was so excited when he got home because he felt like I could do everything that they did. And he brought home a program with a 1-800 number. I called. They put me down for training camp, and the rest is history. So, I mean, it was, again, somebody taking a stand for me, kind of like uh, my brother-in-law now who. Um, got me the scholarship. I had a friend of mine say, hey, you go to the Globe Trials. I think that you can do that. And that's just that's kind of how it is. And just something that I preach. You never know who, you know, who you're going to come across. So I always try to treat people with respect, treat them good, without you know, expecting anything. And great things tend to always happen, especially for me. And so I think that if other people can kind of put a little bit of that into their lives, I think the same things will, will start to happen. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. Kindness goes a long way. Kindness is free. That's one of my mottos. Yes, <laughs> Kindness that's a great is free. motto. Doesn't cost you a dime. <laughs> we can all be rich with kindness. For sure. I had Derek Grant on the podcast a few weeks ago, who is also on a Globetrotter, and we talked about what the Globetrotters are and the travel involved. But I'd love to get your take on it. Were the Globetrotters something you always wanted to do, or did the opportunity fall into your lap? Yeah, we used to get, I used to get that question a lot, and for me, the, the answer is still the same. For me, the Globetrotters was, was more than a dream come true. You know, as a kid, I just wanted to be a professional athlete, and the Globetrotters really and truly gave me that opportunity beyond what I could have believed uh, for 18 years to have traveled to all the places I've traveled and you know, seeing the things I was able to see. I, I mean, I often tell people there's no way that I could afford to have paid to go to, you know, almost 90 countries around the world and meet the people that I've, I've met. You know, I, my kids, uh, my friends, like, like you mentioned, Derek, uh, Big Easy, my partner on the major race. I mean, there's just so many people that I've met along the way, along that journey that have uh, still, you know, became and still are a major part of my life and we're still connected to this day. So, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a, a tough, grueling schedule, but for me, it was super rewarding. There wasn't one day uh, during my career that I hated my job because I worked real jobs before, and I know what it was like to work. So to have an opportunity to be able to go out and entertain people each and every night and after the game, you know, even when you know you didn't play your best, they're telling you how great you were, you see the smiles on the kids' faces. It makes you forget about uh, whatever problem that you had, you know, or that you may or may not have, just like, them being at the game, you help them forget about what they're dealing with. So, I mean, it was hard, but there's a lot of people that would love to be doing that hard job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you can't take it for granted. And I'm sure the travel was pretty easy for you when you were a young guy. But, you know, as you got older, you, you played for the Globetrotters for 18 years. You had a family of your own. So how did you balance that travel with family time? 
Oh, well, for me, I mean, I didn't have a family of my own per se. I have uh, my son and my daughter. They didn't live with me. They never lived with me on the road, but I definitely play a major role in their lives, try to get them out on the road, see them as much as I can, bring them, uh, to, you know, to visit and all that. My daughter did live in Shreveport where I was currently living, but I've since moved uh, to Sacramento. So, I mean, for me, being on the road, I'd get so many chances to see my son when I would be up that way, which was always exciting. Uh, for him and then you know my daughter the same when I would go down and then when I would be off tour I'd have you know sometimes three or four months to spend with with her without actually having to go to work or anything I didn't have to get up or do anything so it's it's a little bit of give and take it's a sacrifice you know it's a sacrifice uh, financially I was making decent money so I was able to provide them with many of the things and options that I didn't have as a kid so for me it, it, it wasn't hard because it was something I was enjoying doing and I was creating a better life and I continue to create a better life uh, for my kids with, with the gifts and things I've learned along the way. That's great. Do your kids think it's cool that you're a globetrotter? <laughs> it's funny. I think that my son more so than my daughter. My son's 14. His name is Nicholas. Uh, my daughter, her name's Rhea. She's 12. And I can remember her one time telling me that I didn't have a cool bone in my body. <laughs> <laughs> so, with, you know, when it's, I think it's athletes and and, and kids that your dad, no matter how cool that their friends may think that you are, you're always dad to whatever D-list celebrity status that you may have. You're still mom and your dad. <laughs> <laughs> what was your signature move that would get the crowd going during games? Uh, my signature move during the game was, well, before the games or during the, the pregame warmups after we would do our magic circle, I would often go into the stands and shoot my grand, my granny shot uh, from the bleachers. And I mean, I'd probably say I've made four, 40, 50% of the time. So four out of five, uh, four out of 10 nights, I would actually make it. Uh, another one signature was, I uh, would catch it on the back of my neck and flip it into the basket. Uh, that was another one. So, I mean, one of the things about the globe trials is that if you want to stick around, it's important that you not just be a person that can do one trick. You have to branch out. You have to take a little bit of, of what you see from other guys and, and make it your own. Uh, and that comes in the form of playing basketball. It comes in the form of ball handling. It comes in the form of the way you carry yourself off the court. It comes in the way that you're able to deal with the media. So it's more than just a game of basketball. There's a lot of guys and girls, for that matter, that are good basketball players, but uh, you have to be well-rounded and be a good person along with the other things that I mentioned. Yeah, for sure. And you have to have a good personality. I mean, you guys are on TV. Yeah, you have to have a great smile and a winning personality. That's one of the things I always tell people when they ask me what it takes to be a globetrotter. I say great smile and winning personality for starters, <laughs> uh, you know, among other things. You would play the Washington Generals, but towards the end of your career, you played the World All-Stars. No matter the opponent, you are undefeated in your 18-year career. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is pretty amazing considering that I didn't have a winning season all throughout my college basketball uh, career. And I often tell people now, I say the only times I ever lost with my Globe Charter uniform on was the three times that I competed in CBS to be a major race. And <laughs> Big East and I, we took three L's right there every time we represented the Globe Charters. But I think we did a good job doing it. We had a lot of fun. We brought, you know, some new fans into the uh, to the arenas and we were to show, able to show people the Globe Stars was still around and what they're all about, Bridget. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely want to talk about the amazing race in a few minutes because I am a, ra a reality TV nerd. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, looking forward to it. How were you able to play for so long? I mean, 18 seasons into your 40s. How did your body not break down? I think, I don't know, I think that my, my workout regimen was probably a little bit different from what these guys do today. I was the kind of guy that, you know, I would go hard while I was on the tour. Every night, you know, I would give everything that I had. But once I got home, I would take a month off. You know, I would take a month off and I wouldn't do anything related to basketball. I mean, I would gain five or ten pounds, let my body just, you know, break down, and then I'd start building it back up when it was time for me to go on tour. I think that a lot of times these athletes today, they don't really give them uh, themselves, their bodies, time to uh, recruit. They immediately go from end of the season to training. You know, I don't know. I'm not a, a doctor or anything, but for me, what worked for me was taking that time off when I was at home and letting my body break down and build back up. And another thing was on tour, I would stay away from the trainer. <laughs> I would always tell guys, once you start going to the trainer, you will always be at the trainer. 
So I was the kind of person that even I barely even wanted the trainer to tape my ankles. Sometimes I would tape my own ankles if we were required to, you know, have our ankles taped uh, to play the game. But it's, it's, you have to take care of your body. You have to eat right, you know, on the road. You have to be mentally prepared to do things that the body is not typically normal, uh, normally doing, different hours of the night, playing two games in a single day. But I loved every minute of it because of the way I grew up. I know what hard work is and what it was, so there's not – a day that I would go out there and, and feel sorry for myself that I was getting paid to pay, play the game of basketball. Yeah, sounds like you had the right approach. And I, Yeah, I, that's my approach, and I, that's what I try to instill in all of my players, my teammates. And I'm, if you talk to Derek, I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. Every night I was ready to go, regardless of how many days we played in a row, how many people were in the stands. It, it's time to work. You know, when you're a professional and people are paying to see you perform, you have a responsibility to give them something that they paid for, give them a memory that they can enjoy and something that they want to bring uh, their family back to again. And that's what we with the Globe try to try to do. And I'm sure that's what they continue to try to do even to this day. Yeah, I like that attitude. Got to stay positive. And as you said before, being a Globetrotter has allowed you to experience so many cool things, two of which are meeting President Obama and you also met the Pope. Can you talk about those experiences? I certainly can. Well, the first time that I met President Obama, it was at the uh, the annual Easter egg roll that they have each year at the White House. And I often joke and I think about that first experience because I was super excited, as anyone would be, uh, to have a chance to meet the, po- I mean, meet the president. And when I met him, I was just super excited because I knew that I shook his hand. I'm like, there's got to be people around. They have to have a photo of it. And turns out there was no photos of me actually shaking the president's hand. There was only photos of me standing in the background. So I actually got a chance to do a do-over. Our <laughs> okay. PR, our PR guy Brett Meister, he uh, the second year came around. They wanted us back again and had a chance to go back again and got some great photos of me shaking the hand of President Obama, of me standing over him as he does push-ups for missing a couple jump shots. <laughs> so I mean that was. Super exciting to be able to do it once, uh, not once, but twice. And then the Pope experience, I would have to say, was one of the most amazing, nerve-wracking, exhilarating moments in my life. I mean, there's, I think, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people out there, and I was designated by our president at the time, Kirk Snyder, to be the one who was going to spin the basketball on the Pope's finger if the opportunity presented itself. And immediately upon him telling me this, my, I'm already bald-headed, so my head starts to sweat as it's, you know, 90, 95 degrees uh, at the Vatican, and the Pope is delivering his, you know, his, uh, his, his weekly sermon. And I'm just sweating. I can't even really concentrate. My palms are sweating. My head, my head is sweating. And as it came to an end, we start to make our way up there, and our Kurt is saying, Herb, 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 this is the time. You got to do it. I'm like, I know I have to do it. So long story short, I ended up spinning the ball on the Pope's finger for about a half a second. (laughs) (laughs) It was long enough for us to be able to get some great photos and, you know, a little bit of video to say that I did it. But I definitely could have done a better job. But I often tell people now, hey, I'm the only person in the world that can say that they actually had a chance to spin the ball on the Pope's finger. No one in the world has ever done that. So I think that uh, that's pretty amazing and pretty cool. Yeah, very unique. Great experience. And, you know, more great experiences, as you mentioned, you and your teammate Big Easy competed on the amazing CBS's The Amazing Race, which is a major TV show for that network, three times. And for anyone who doesn't know, The Amazing Race is a game show where several teams of two compete in challenges and race around the world. There's an elimination on each leg of a race, and the last team to arrive is eliminated. The first team to arrive on the final leg of the race wins $1 million. So you run the race. The first time that you come on the show was season 15 in 2009, where you get fourth place. How did this opportunity come to be? The opportunity came to be in 2007 when the Globe Charters uh, changed hands. They went over to a company called Shamrock. And the president of the company that Shamrock came was Kirk Snyder, the guy that I mentioned who designated me to spin the basketball on the post finger. Uh, Kirk Snyder, he had a vision that he wanted to create new stars. He told us when he came in that he wanted people to 
not only be able to experience us in the arenas, but that he wanted us to see us on network television. He wanted them to recognize some of us walking through the airports. So he ended up uh, hiring a PR specialists out of Los Angeles, and they began to give us ideas and, and pitch us for different television show opportunities. And myself, I was always a fan of Amazing Race from season one. Uh, that was the one that intrigued me the most out of all the ones that were on the list. And I had a really good friend, uh, Big Easy, who was also on the team. And uh, we put together a pretty, pretty cool video, and they liked it. We ended up going through several interviewing processes uh, before being selected to do that first season, in which we came in fourth place. I like The Amazing Race, but out of uh, all those reality TV shows for CBS, I'm a diehard Survivor fan, and I've watched Big Brother, too. The Amazing Race is probably third, but I have watched okay. a bunch of seasons, and I have watched you on it. I obviously didn't know at the time that it was you, but that's pretty cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I watched those as well, Big Brother. All of those uh, shows were really awesome. Survivor is one of the ones that's been on the longest. I think it kind of kicked off the whole reality TV type of uh, vibe that we're actually living in now, that culture. But, yeah, those are great shows. Amazing Race has always been my favorite because it's, you know, fast-paced. I was a traveler, and it gets, you know, when I would watch the show early on, I would have a chance to see some of the places that I uh, had traveled and some of the places that I had hoped to travel uh, at some point in my life. So it's a good educational show, and I think that Big Easy and I did a great job of, of showing people that you can be competitive and have fun and do things the right way and, uh, you know, maintain friendships and, and all of that good stuff. So that was one of the things that we wanted to establish on our show opportunities. And I think that we, that we accomplished that. Absolutely. And did you wear your basketball uniforms the entire race? No. I mean, for me, of course, we were representing the Globetrotters, and most of the time we wore Harlem Globetrotters stuff. But for me, it was also important to represent where I came from. So I would have Brink the Tiger t-shirt. I would have Centenary College, oh, uh, Arkansas Razorback to represent my state. So. In the beginning, I definitely wanted to make sure I represented the Harlem Globetrotters, but as I went further through the race, I, it gave me opportunity to not only uh, represent, you know, the Globetrotters for giving me the opportunity, but also represent where I'm from and give the people back home something to root about. That's great. You know, you must have had a good experience on the show, and obviously the audience loved you guys because you go back on in 2011 for the 18th season, which was entitled Unfinished Business. You come in second place. Was it frustrating being so close to the win but not getting it? Well, Bridget, we went on with unfinished business, and we left with more unfinished business because <laughs> we didn't win again. But uh, that was our best, our best race. We, we came in second place that time. We lost to Keisha and Jen, the, the first female team to ever win the amazing race. I mean, it wasn't meant to be. It was very competitive. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we came in second place, but... Another, as a result, we had a chance to come back again for season 24 and, yeah. you know, compete again. So, I mean, third time's a charm, maybe, maybe not. Not for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you came in sixth place in the All-Star season in uh, 2013. Yeah, that was our uh, less fortunate uh, race season. But, I mean, again, it just comes to show you that if, if we weren't doing things the right way, if we weren't being competitive in a way that, uh, young people and adults enjoyed. I don't think that they would have brought us back because the first time we had to audition, the next two times we didn't have to do a thing but just be ourselves. They just gave us a call and said, hey, you guys want to do it again? So that's just a result of, of like I said, being kind, doing things the right way, making yourself uh, memorable. And I like the way that we did it. And who knows, maybe one day we'll do it four times. I'd love to see that. And you guys are fan favorites, so I, I bet it'll happen. If you wanted to. We'll see. I'm getting a little bit older now. I'm not in my, my early 30s anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can still do it. Yeah, I but, think so. Yeah, for sure. As I mentioned, I, I, I watched Survivor. I also watched Big Brother. And in the All-Star season, Brendan and Rachel were on it. Did you have interaction with them? Oh, yeah. I had a lot of uh, interaction with, uh, with Brendan and Rachel. And uh, they're both amazing people. Ray, Rachel's ama amazing. She's super competitive. Um, I did watch them on Big Brother, so it's pretty cool to be able to race with them as well. Yeah, they're they're an entertaining couple. They <laughs> they always brought the drama to the race. Always brought some fun, but you know, it's, <laughs> what you see on camera and what you see off camera sometimes can be uh, two different things. And I find 
Rachel, Brennan, especially Rachel, to be super, super pleasant uh, to talk to. So they're, they're great. They're what TV is all about. You know, it's entertainment and, and people pay to be entertained, whether you like it or not. And I can always find the good in, in everything. And I find the great in people who on television who may be, you know, the villains. But Rachel and Brennan were two great teams and two people that I still continue to follow to the day as I see that they're still doing amazing things together. Yeah, that's awesome. You see the good in everyone. I, I love that. It doesn't do me any good to see the bad in people. It doesn't do anything, you know, for my, for my psyche or my heart. It only brings me down. When I don't have good thoughts in my heart, it doesn't make me feel good. So I'm able to, to, to shift and, and have a different way of thinking. I like that. I, I think I'm going to take that, advice, that lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's something that we all, I mean, I wasn't always like this. It just came from you know, traveling and experiences, growing up around old people and realizing that nothing in the life matters until you start to put other people in front of yourself. And once you start to do that, uh, good things happen. And I feel like that's what's happening with me. So all the great things that I've accumulated, knowledge, sports, life, it's something that I choose to give back openly with no grudges and, you know, with a forgiving heart. I love that. What were some of your favorite legs of the race? Oh, man, my favorite legs of the race. Uh, I have to say one of them was when we were in Dubai, and we ended up going to the, uh, the indoor ski slope. Uh, we ended up going to the indoor ski slope, and imagine in Dubai where it's 130 degrees. You ended <laughs> yeah, up that's... You know, tubing down uh, a, a ski slope uh, on a tube to, to, to find clues to dig into mounds of ice to find stuff. So, I mean, that was pretty cool also. Uh, that first season, Big Easy swimming in Dubai, trying to uh, go over to get the briefcase to bring back to unlock. And he was, you know, six foot nine in a child's raft. And that was what <laughs> we formed the phrase, do it for the hood, Big Easy. And our opponent, uh, Sam and Dan, they yelled out, I think it was with uh, Sam yelled to his brother, do it for the suburbs, Dan, do it for the suburbs. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, that whole Dubai thing was a lot of fun. I mean, I can tell you my least favorite if you want to know that one. I would love to know it. My least favorite was in India, and we had a tea challenge. And it was a, it was a, it was a Snapple sponsorship, but the tea that I was drinking was not my normal Snapple tea. And we had to remember the taste of a tea that we had like two days before, and there were hundreds, even I think thousands, at least a thousand cups of tea on there. And myself, being one of the last people to complete the challenge had been there for a couple of hours drinking tea and there was stuff that happened that I can't even tell you in between and stuff that they couldn't even show on television, uh, which caused one of the players to end up going and have a uh, IV and they got eliminated on that leg of the race. And I was just that close uh, to being eliminated as well because of what was happening during that entire challenge. And yeah, you kind of have to be there for that one, but that was my least favorite. Um, It was the first time where I almost really thought about, quitting, but I knew that I couldn't let my, uh, my teammate down, but yeah, the tea challenge. You're making me think of Snapple now in a different way. I don't think I'm going to drink it again. (laughs) Nope. I said it wasn't Snapple. Snapple is fine. This was a different kind. It was some, like the one that you could taste, the one that you were looking for to taste was the Snapple tea taste. Gotcha. Oh yeah. I can imagine how that could get bad. And so you, I couldn't remember what it tasted like. You could actually smell it um, if you were smart because the, uh, the one gentleman who found the first run, he went up and, oh, I know what that was. And he went and smelled a couple of cups of tea, and he, I think he got it on the first one. Whereas me, Mr. In a Hurry, like, oh, it's just, just some, some pretty good tea, not realizing it would come back into play a couple of days later, which would cost me to be there for hours. <laughs> Overall, great experience on the race, minus that one leg in India, it seems like. Yeah, overall, definitely was a, was a great experience. I mean, and to have a chance to do it three times, I mean, I realize that people, I know that they get hundreds of thousands of videos each year of people trying to, to be a part of the race, because I get it from, from random people, people in my family, people in my network, asking what you have to do to be on a race. So it's definitely something that I don't take for granted, having an opportunity to run around the world with my great friend Nate Lawson uh, on CBS's The Amazing Race. And again, flight time goes with The Amazing Race too because you guys are flying a lot. <laughs> we definitely put up a, you know, put up a lot of miles. And for me, you know, 
during the race, a lot of the places I had already been to, but a couple of the coolest places that I've seen during the race were places that I had never been before. It was the first time that I had gone to Australia. And in Australia, we had a chance to go to, I forget what the name of the, the city was, but it was the Great Outback. And every city street there was labeled after a element on the periodic table, which was pretty cool. And then I had a chance to go to countries like Vietnam, Cam, uh, Cambodia I had never been to, Liechtenstein, one of the smallest countries in the world. I mean, just to have a chance to be able to see that, even though at 100 miles per hour, it's just, it's, it's priceless, priceless memories that I get to share with people. That's amazing. Your last season with the Globetrotters was in 2017. Why did you decide that was the time to hang it up? Well, I mean, all good things come to an end. For me, it was, it was unexpected. I didn't expect to be, um, that to be my last year, but sometimes unexpected things happen. And at that time, it's the time you get to reshift and focus and try to figure out uh, what the next part of your, your life looks like. And, uh, for me, I was, I was not mad at the way that it ended as it didn't end as I hoped that it would, but I was disappointed. But at the same time, I'm able to see and realize that in order for me to have attained that same spot, somebody else had to lose their job or retire. Mm-hmm. And so it's a blessing to, to have held a position for 18 years. And now, you know, when I go back to the games, I'm able to look out there and see some of the new guys and, uh, just, to, you know, remember and imagine, uh, myself out there the first time. And I get to take joy and, uh, knowing what they're getting to experience on the road and the memories that they're creating. That's great. You wrote a book in 2019 entitled Projects, Popes, and Presidents. Can you describe what the book is about and why you decided to write it? Yeah, the book uh, Projects, Popes, and Presidents it is available on Amazon and it's also available on Barnes & Noble. But during my Globetrotter career, I would often come back home and I would tell my friends all these stories and Every year, they were like, man, you should write a book. Herb, you should write a book. And once my career came to an end, I, I had time to write a book. Uh, so I, I sat down and I began to jot down some of my most memorable mo- moments of my life from as far back as I can remember, which, you know, was like three years old up until what was, I think, 40 years old at that time. And once I began to look at the, the list of all the amazing things I experienced over my life, I began to group them together and then I began to write about them. And that's kind of how it came about. I mean, just the story of me growing up in a small town in Arkansas and the projects until I was about uh, nine or 10 years old and just moving a couple of blocks away into uh, a home. Those experiences growing up in the projects to overcoming, you know, so much, becoming president of my class and graduating with honors and basketball to, you know, have an opportunity to meet presidents and popes. It's, it's, uh, I never could have imagined, you know, I never could have imagined that from where I started from that I'd have these amazing opportunities. So it's kind of what I, what I do now, what I talk about when I have a chance to meet with, with young people and adults at different points in life, you're going to face adversity, but it's okay. You get to learn from the experiences and push on, you know, a lot of times people look at situations as, as obstacles, but I'm able to look at obstacles as opportunities uh, to learn and grow and find something uh, good out of things. Like right now with the coronavirus, there's a lot of people that are, oh, I'm out of work, this and that. Well, maybe this is a couple of weeks for you to actually put into that job or something that you really, really, really been working on and want to do. Look at it like that instead of sitting around watching Netflix and feeling sorry for yourself for being off for two weeks. So that's how I see it during this, this you know, couple of weeks while we're shut down. Sit down, regather your thoughts, start over. Uh, put some time into something that you've been dreaming about and start pursuing that until it's time to go back to work and see how far you can get. It's a great idea. I'm going to download it onto my Kindle after this episode, after we're done. Yeah. Or you can also go to herblang.com, but yeah, definitely Amazon and Barnes and Noble will probably be your two quickest opportunities to, uh, to get, the, get the book. And I hope that you enjoyed it. I like some feedback from it after you read it. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited to get into it. Well, thank you, Bridget. Yeah, especially with this coronavirus, as you said. Think of it on the hey, on the plus side. I got time to read. <laughs> hey, I had I had a friend of mine. She said that she she listened to um to fit uh, to um uh Amazon reader. That Siri on Amazon. Siri's on the iPhone and Alexa's on yeah. So Alexa was reading my book, and she said that was pretty interesting. And I didn't even know Alexa was could read my book. So if oh you, yeah, I didn't even know that bored, was an option. 
If you get bored, let Alexa read it to you if you download it on Amazon. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Very cool. So on top of being an author, you also do motivational speaking. So you've continued to have this impact even after retiring from the Globetrotters. Yeah, Bridget, I mean, it's, there's so much that I learned over that 18 years that it's, it's my profession. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I went to school for four years of, of, of college and I got a degree in health and physical education and I became, you know, I became able to, to educate if, if, if I so desired. But the 18 years that I've accumulated as a globe chart, I mean, that's like a, that's a PhD. People don't do that one thing for a long time. And I often tell people, I have a PhD in globe charters, entertainment. So what I'm doing right now is using those things that I've accumulated. I'm working on branding. My brand swag ball hopefully will be uh, trademarked in the next couple of months once I get my basketball clinic uh, launch, which I may have to push back now due to the, uh, the coronavirus, which is fine. Um, I'm you know, motivational speaking. I was just down in Arkansas. I spoke at my hometown chamber of commerce. I spoke at Little Rock Central High School, which is famous for 1957 Little Rock Nine um, and the segregation down in the yeah. South. I also spoke at an elementary school. I went to a high school in Mountain, uh, Mountain View, Arkansas, which is about two hours uh, north of, of Little Rock in front of a whole gym of uh, high school kids. So what I talked about is, is, is it's flexible. I'm able to look at a, an audience or speak to a group or whoever's bringing me in beforehand and get a, get a gauge of what they kind of want me to talk about, and I can fit it in to what I'm going to say regardless. So, I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. And, like, I, I tell those kids, I say, you know, I've, I've won dunk contests. In 98, I won the college dunk contest at the Final Four in San Antonio. I've won, you know, championships in high school. Um, I've won all kinds of trophies, but now for me, the thing that, that feels like a trophy to me, the thing that rewards me is when I go and speak to a group uh, adults or kids and I get emails or I get people in my Instagram or my Facebook telling me that I impacted them or thank, you know, thanks for coming. What you said today resonated with me. So those are now my trophies, the emails, uh, the text messages. Those are my championships. Those are my wins. It's a great feeling. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it, it really is. I mean, Hey, I, I joke with my one of uh, actually my sister's, about, you know, Facebook posts. I said, all right, you guys, you know, you post a lot on Facebook and not all of it's positive. Uh, challenge you guys to how about for every um, controversial post that you may post, how about post two, two good things, two happy stories. <laughs> and I did that. And I think one of my sisters did and the other ones didn't. But I mean, just think about that. What if, what if we all posted two good things to one thing? We would eventually eliminate a lot of the bad stuff that's posted. Absolutely. If we all said we're going to post two things, you know, to one controversial thing, I mean, the Internet would be filled with good, good stuff, which is not typically, you know, what it is. It's not typically yeah, what it's not filled. at all. Yeah, we can change that. <laughs> yeah, I hope we do. Herb, I've had so much fun talking with you. I like to end the podcast with a couple fun questions. How does that sound? Okay. Sounds good. Great. Who is your favorite professional sports team besides the Harlem Globetrotters, of course? My favorite professional, my favorite professional sports team is the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Who's your favorite player all time? Oh man, my favorite all time, my favorite all time football player would have to be Walter Payton. I was a big Walter Payton fan uh, growing up in basketball. It was Michael Jordan, so I guess it's all right there in Chicago. Yeah. Wow. Nice. What is your favorite movie? Oh, man, my favorite movie. I haven't had this question in a long time. I used to always answer this question with The Color Purple. It was one of my favorite movies uh, growing up as a kid, The Color Purple with Whippy Goldberg and Oprah Winfrey back in the day. So I guess I can kind of say that's still one of, my, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time. I've heard great things about that movie. I don't think I've seen it, though. I'll have to add it to my list. All right. You got a lot to do, Bridget. <laughs> I do, I do, but I got nothing but time now. Yeah. <laughs> and last question, who is your favorite musical artist? My favorite musical artist right now would probably be John Legend. He's great. I am a John Legend fan. I've had an opportunity to go and see him probably about six years ago. I was front row, and then I had another chance to go, and the concert ended up getting canceled. 
But, I mean, if I can see that first concert that I saw the first time all over again, exactly the way it was, I would have no problem paying for that. But uh, just amazing. I just like his message. I like, the, you know, his, his tone, the way he sings, what he stands for. So uh, it, I'm able to relate to a lot of, you know, his songs and his messages. So it just resonates with me. Great. Herb, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to read your book and to just hear about everything else you're going to do. I know you're going to do more motivational speaking. You're going to inspire more kids. And I just can't wait to follow and keep up with it. Well, thank you, Bridget. I appreciate it. I get to, I get to inspire a lot of people. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's an honor. It's a blessing. It's something that I don't take lightly. And I just want to, you know, if anybody wants to follow me, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram at Trotter 4 Again, at Trotter. Or I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, Herbert Flight Time Lang. Look me up if you have any questions. Uh, if you want to interview me, I'll be happy to uh, to talk to anybody. So thank you, Bridget. Thanks for the opportunity. And um, much success and blessings moving forward. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Herbert Lang. I hope you enjoyed it. He's such an inspiring, positive guy. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.